Welcome everyone to FF Plus, which is usually your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler free. But sometimes we mix things up, and today is one of those times. As always, I'm your host, Aaron White, and I'm very excited to have with me three amazing guests for a conversation about the best movies of 2023 so far. All of these guests are members of the Hollywood Critics Association, which I gratefully was just admitted to about a month ago, and so I thought it would be cool to bring some new colleagues on and some folks that I've never been able to podcast with before. Uh, so let's go through the list and meet everybody. First, we have David Bax. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I guess I should have cued them up and told them to tell us all a little bit about right, what yeah. you do in the film space. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Don't just read like, my oh, mind. I yeah. was like, everyone didn't tell me to, so it was a presumptuous of me to, like, <laughs> to plug my podcast. But I also have a podcast. It's called Battleship Pretension. It's a sort of loose movie discussion, weekly movie discussion. And I uh, review films as well at Battleship Pretension dot com uh and uh yeah on on letterboxd that david backs battleship retention was one of the probably two or three defining podcasts before i got into this space i will have you know Thank along you. with film spotting which i think is a, a big one for a lot of people yeah no we have yeah, the benefit yeah. of just having started early We've been going since March of 2007. Yeah, a lot it's of people impressive. seem to know our name, at least, just because we got in the door before there were a 10, 10 bajillion podcasts. That's great. We also have Meredith Loftus. Hello, everyone. I am Meredith Loftus. I work for Paramount as a digital producer, but I just recently got uh, accepted to the Hollywood Critics Association. I do some brilliance work for Collider, Next Best Picture, and Marvelous Geeks. And I do have a podcast that is on hiatus for a while. It's called Fangirl Forum, where I get together friends of mine and we just fangirl about movies, TV shows, whatever we're just really in the mood for. I have like a two hour long episode about Taylor Swift. So that's a conversation for another time. But thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great. And you have been doing a lot of coverage on Ted Lasso recently. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I also do some red carpet interviews for Next Best Picture. And most recently, it has been a couple events, uh, like four year consideration events for uh, Ted Lasso season three. And and I just interviewed a lot of the cast on Saturday. So interviews should be coming up very soon. And I love them a lot. So it was fun. That's exciting. Yeah, me too. Big fan. And then last but not least, we have Brian Formo. Hi, I'm actually, uh, I'm a Collider alum. So I was there uh, 24, 2014 to 2017. I, I'm at Letterboxd now. Uh, I am an editorial producer for them which means basically that I produce a number of their videos, do a lot of interviews, uh, podcasts, uh, go to film festivals, and kind of everything that we, we love about this racket get to do there. So that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Kind of ran into you, I think, right before you got to Letterboxd. And then when you, you were there, it was a, a big, neat change. I don't know. I guess we all probably use Letterboxd and have we all been using it for years now or, or have we come to it recently? I know I've been using it since probably the early 2010s. Oh, I'm, I'm a newbie at Letterboxd. So Brian, if you want to give me tips on how to use it, that would be <laughs> fantastic. Uh, I'm just making lists and just reviewing movies as they come. So yeah, I mean, the biggest tip. So actually, I didn't join until 2016. 
But I didn't become obsessed with it until 2017. And part of the reason I became obsessed is because as I started poking around a little bit, at first I was like, I'm I'm a professional critic. I'm not giving away my reviews for free. <laughs> so, but then I just started to discover movies through Letterboxd that I never would have heard of in any other platform. And it was through kind of just poking around and following interesting people or like looking at their lists or looking at their top four. And you're like, I don't know what some of this stuff is and someone who I, I you know consider myself a cinephile if you can find a place that actually introduces you to some like new great movies which is very 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 hard to do that is what won me over to Letterboxd and so I, I actually think the most interesting part of it is to kind of poke around other people's stuff look at check I mean that's that's why I'm here because I Aaron and I I uh, started following each other pretty early on for me being there but he's right it started in like 2010 but it was, it's been a gradual pace that really started to grow in 2019. How long have you, you been there, David? Uh, I think I, I've been on Letterboxd for like five or six years. And for the longest time, I was mostly just using it as a way of like keeping my own records, just like so I could reference like, here's what I saw when and here's how I felt about it at the time and stuff like that. And, and then the more and more people like that I followed and that followed me, I'd start to like, suddenly I get like a comment on something I said. And I'm like, oh, right, people can see this. <laughs> and so I've started to branch out into trying to use it use the social function and the discovery of other other people's uh, tastes and recommendations and stuff as well. Awesome. Well, yeah. So there you go. Plug for Letterboxd <laughs> on the show. I mean, we're big fans, so I have no problem with that. Okay, well, let's get into the reason we're here, and that is to talk about some of the best films of 2023 so far at the mid-year point. We are going to count down from five to one each. But if a movie is on a list and appears higher on someone else's list, we're just going to skip it. And then we'll talk about it as a group once it comes up at its highest position. And then once we're done, we'll throw out some honorable mentions as well. Anything that you guys have really latched onto this year that you might want to mention that didn't quite make the cut. With that said, I guess we're just going to get started. And Meredith, I have you up first, but then the movie you have in your number five spot is going to be talked about later. So we're going to go to Brian, who has something on his list at number five that it's the only place it shows up at all. <laughs> little, a little pun there. So yeah. No. Oh, I didn't even do it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, so number five for me is uh, Kelly Reichardt's showing up. <laughs> so now, now everyone gets the pun. If that was a slip of the tongue, that was pretty good. It's just a natural. Yeah. So I guess starting with a, I mean, synopsis, what it is. I mean, it's basically Michelle Williams is an artist outside of Portland, Oregon. She uh, teaches, she struggles at making art because of everything else that is happening in her life, which includes a mentally ill brother, various things odd with her uh, family members, her both of her parents, and uh, a landlord who is also an artist played by Hong Chao who won't fix anything. So actually, bef I mean, before we started recording this, we were kind of chatting about where we're from and part of the reason why I, I like I really enjoy Kelly Reichardt movies in general but this one felt like home to me because uh many many feels like many years ago uh 15 15 years ago I, I used to run performance space and and art galleries in Knoxville Tennessee and then in Olympia Washington and it was very DIY and it's like the art the side of the art scene that kind of never really gets shown in movies which is like people who are making art just to make art. They're not like things aren't really getting sold. And it's actually like a place where basically people just come together every Friday to drink wine. So uh, even if you don't 
like the art and you kind of have to like mend things with each other. Like it felt very, very familiar and cozy to me. And I like that there, there are some pretty heady themes throughout it, but she doesn't hit you over the head with what she's actually getting at. I think it's something that if you sit and kind of have some tea and think about it, you can start to root. It seems like not much is happening, but if you have the time to actually kind of like parse through various things that are that are happening in it that are very quiet and uh, subtle, I think it actually reveals it reveals to be one of her what are better works. And I, I really enjoy a lot a number of her films. I mean, First Cow was my favorite of 2020 as well. So if anybody else has thoughts on showing up, feel free to chime in as well. I have not seen it yet myself. Nope. So I'm lagging behind. Oh, we're all shaking our heads. So we're I guess we've right got now. <laughs> one movie in and we've got homework. Great. That's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> no, I liked First Cow a lot. So I'll definitely be checking it out. It's a good pick. All right. David, his number five shows up later on the list. So that makes my number five, which is also only on one list. And it is a movie called Sanctuary. And essentially, this is a two-person stage play-esque single location thriller in a way. I almost want to call it an erotic thriller, but I don't want to set expectations unfairly because it's not got the kind of sexual situations that an erotic thriller usually does. It's much more psychological in nature. It is about a dominatrix played by Margaret Qualley who is spending a night in a very claustrophobic hotel room with this man played by Christopher Abbott, who is the heir to his father's hotel empire. And as the movie goes on, they go through this incredible series of mind games. And it is just psychotic. It is There's manipulation, and you never quite know who's got the upper hand. The script is terrific. Uh, it has an absolutely wonderful score. The camera work is really special, I think, for being in such a confined space. It's, it's hard to make one or two rooms <laughs> for 90 minutes look different, but the way that they change the angle of the shots helps really kind of elevate it, I think. And this thing is just, if you are a person that likes good performance then this is a movie that you will probably enjoy because margaret qualley is just phenomenal in this film i think you know she is in my top five actresses performances for the year so far as well uh, she had me feeling all sorts of ways on a huge spectrum of emotions throughout watching this and i think that you know christopher abbott does a fantastic job as well but the way that she is able to kind of command the screen in this role, this is not like a dominatrix movie like Fifty Shades of Grey. So you're not, it's not that, I don't even, it's not like a caricature of that lifestyle. It is much more about control uh, than it is the like sexualization of what a person is doing. Um, and I just found it completely fascinating. Uh, just loved it so much. I didn't see it, but can I point out how weird it is that Christopher Abbott has now made two movies that are like him locked in a hotel room with a sex worker? Because like there was Piercing five years ago, which is him and Mia Veshikovska. Oh. 
which is also a like <laughs> crazy mindfuck of a movie that I loved and saw at Sundance in 2018. But yeah, that's a movie where he's a an aspiring serial killer who makes plans to murder a prostitute. And then once he gets into the hotel room with her, it turns into, yeah, the same kind of mind games and, and, and stuff. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty great movie as well. But weird, weird, like, weird, like, niche that he's carving up for himself. I, I bet that was probably part of the inspiration for casting him. Honestly, it sounds pretty similar to kind of the type of role that he ends up having to play here. It's really interesting just the way that the story kind of unfolds. There's parts of it where they're playing roles. They're acting as different characters as part of the contract that they have put in place. And then at other times, they're sort of their real selves outside of the dominatrix relationship. Um, and it's just trying to figure out when that is and, and watching it is is great. So I highly recommend it. Have you seen it, Meredith? No, I have not seen it, though. Everybody who has seen it, it seems like they've really enjoyed it uh, just because it's a little out of my purview that I haven't really sought it out. But I mean, based on that alone, I'm definitely interested in checking it out sometime in the well, I, I have seen it, and I, I, I'm going to back up something that Aaron is saying, but saying that he can say it with more conviction. So, I I mean, I've written thousands and thousands of words on an erotic thriller, and you can definitely call this an erotic thriller because there's uh, blackmail is central to it. And also, and it's it's about like power dynamics, like you said, but also kind of office dynamics. Um, but because his kink is very closely tied to language, language is sexy as well but like i think that even though it's maybe not a classical what people think as i mean as erotic it is it it is using something that you know is is kink for for many which is just like kind of words and being bossed around and it um and her conviction and kind of seeing her navigate uh shifts in power i think it 100 a hundred percent um qualifies for that it actually reminds me a lot of this i mean this one has a lot more disrobing but it does remind me a lot of a french movie from the early 2000s called uh secret choices oh sorry secret things so i actually like i'm most like i think that that's a great kind of it's very similar in a lot of ways to sanctuary that if, if you haven't seen that you should i i would greatly uh recommend that as well if you like sanctuary awesome well i'm putting it on my list Next would be Meredith's number four, but it also shows up later, <laughs> so we'll get to that eventually. She is still here. Uh, Brian's number four is also only on one list, but that's because probably none of us have had the opportunity to see it yet. <laughs> At least I'm guessing. So, Brian, go ahead. What's your number four? Yeah, so this debuted at South by Southwest, uh, which I actually was not at, but I did do a pretty large... If I mean... Maybe I'll plug this at the end. The I guess the reason why I was able to see uh, Bottoms early. Bottoms. Does people know what it is? The trailer just came out last week. Uh, it's Emma Seligman's uh, follow-up to Shiva Baby. It's a. Uh, it is a comedy of Rachel. It's Rachel Sennett and I, I, Io Edebiri, who are uncool high schoolers, which is hard to believe, but they're uncool high schoolers who start a fight club because they want to pick up chicks. So they they start a female only like self-defense club to try to try to get laid. And it's very, very, very funny. The tone is it's an incredibly difficult thing to pull off because, well, I'll, I'll toss this out there. 
So going back to early 2000s, I feel like I've only been on this podcast for about 15 minutes and I've gone back to the early 2000s about four times. But Strangers with Candy was a series that I loved. Uh, Amy Sedaris, it's a really weird, over-the-top style of comedy that only some people are over the top and not everybody is. And it's this weird mishmash between that. And that's exactly what Bottoms is. There there are some characters who uh, play it straight. There are many who are incredibly heightened. The football players are all wearing their football pads and jerseys everywhere they, they go, which feels like a very kind of direct callback to Strangers of the Candy. But I thought it was hilarious. And it looks great. And the cast, the cast is a lot of fun. So it doesn't come out till August 25th. But those who did see it at South by Southwest, like, uh, loved, loved it as well. It's, it's great to see. It'd be great to see with an audience. I didn't get to do that. So I would actually like to go back and do that. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely looking forward to that. Uh, getting in my Rachel Senate fix with the idol, but I'm assuming it's going to be a very different character for her than if, that. <laughs> if she's a, I'm hoping that she's this, this generation's Parker Posey. Cause she is so, so, so good at what she does in this particular type of comedy. And, and she's just like embracing the indie spirit of so many uh, different features that um, I don't know if she'll get called up to the big leagues, but she seems to like where she's at, but she feels like a Parker Posey archetype to me. I was about to say, as somebody who unapologetically loves Josie and the Pussycats and Parker Posey, like hearing that just made me even more excited. And ever since I saw the first trailer for Bottoms, I'm like, yes, this looks absolutely hilarious. So hearing you have it on your list so far and talking it up, it makes me very excited to see it. Some great needle drops, too. That's good news. Yeah, looking forward to that. All right. Well, our number fours are the same. So I'm going to let David kick it off, but it is also mine as well. Yeah, this is a movie that I I saw at Sundance. I'm guessing you did, Aaron. That's where we met in person was uh, uh, at Sundance. (laughs) uh, Yeah, you saw me scarfing popcorn for breakfast. Uh, (laughs) 8 a.m. screening of the Eight Mountains, putting shoving, shoving popcorn in my face. We saw some other movies, too, including Nicole Hall of Center's newest film, You Hurt My Feelings, which was one of my uh, most anticipated movies of, of the festival and did not disappoint me at all. I mean, maybe in the case, of, like in terms of reuniting Hall of Center with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, the, you know, my for my money, one of the greatest comic act- actors of all time. Uh, reuniting them, I don't know if You Hurt My Feelings quite lived up to Enough Said, which I think is one of the best movies of the 2010s. It's, it's still, they still have great sensibilities together. She has a great eye for casting. I would say this feels even more like an ensemble than Enough Said did. I mean, it's certainly like Julie Louis-Dreyfus is, is the lead, and her marriage to Tobias Menzies' character is the through line, but the the rest of the cast, including including the great uh, Michaela Watkins as Julia Jefferson's younger sister and Jeannie Berlin as their mom, are all are all fantastic. There's a certain type of comedy that doesn't seem to get made anymore. Often, like if there's like if movies are comedies these days, it feels like they're often like high concept or the comedy action or something like that. But this sort of very like grown up like talky comedy first type of uh slice of life type of thing feels like a a, a throwback to the the era of american indies that nicole hall of center kind of made her name in and definitely carries on that tradition very well i i, I laughed throughout the movie i love seeing tobias menzies be be funny he's such like a smoldering severe looking guy that he often gets you know like an outlander or whatever he gets cast as like uh stern either bad guys or hunks or, or whatever but uh 
I don't know if you were him as like uh, Edmir Tully on Game of Thrones, like part of the joke of that character was that he looks like he should be the most accomplished knight in the world, but he's a total like uh, effect, you know, feckless loser or whatever. Um, and, uh, and so here, him playing a, what should be a very assured, you know, very upwardly mobile, uh, you know, private uh, therapist uh, who happens to actually be very bad at his job and none of his patients like it. So it's a, it's a great use of, of his skills and, and he holds his own against, again, I'm, I'm just going to fawn over Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She's one of our great national treasures right now. So that's all these and more of the reasons I loved You Hurt My Feelings. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with all of that. I didn't love it nearly as much at Sundance as I have come to love it, which is interesting because, you know, we always see people at premieres and the big joke is, well, everybody overrates their premiere experience because, they, you know, they're caught up in the pomp of that. Well, especially at Sundance, at Sundance, because you've got that, like, we're all the way at camp type of like, and like, it's cold outside. It's yeah. It's cold outside. We're all huddled together in, in the warm glow of the movies and things. Yeah, there's definitely the Sundance glow, I think, is even stronger than the normal festival glow. Yeah, I, I agree. And and yet, I, you know, I came away from I, this is my first Nicole Hall of Center film uh, since I've watched a couple. I've not gotten to enough said I need to. I know. But I really liked it. And then it just it lingered. It was one of those movies that I could not stop thinking about. And, and you know, it. That means a lot to those of us who watch hundreds and hundreds of movies every single year. And there was just something so realistic about this dialogue and about these characters, something so natural. And the point of the story being to poke fun at how we all lie to spare each other's feelings, it just made me do a lot of self-reflection. And it it hit me in a way that I think was I, you know, it was meaningful. Like, I don't know that it was life changing, but it truly did get me to evaluate the way that I talk to people and the things that we say and think about that and why that is. And consider, is that the best decision to be not telling the truth in a given situation? And I think that, yeah, I think Hall of Center's writing is just absolutely brilliant in the way that she pulls this movie off. It's very slight, but there are no wasted moments, no wasted scenes. And, and you're right, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is just phenomenal in this. And it's the kind of performance that doesn't usually get a ton of awards attention. But I really hope that she doesn't get forgotten because I think she's that good as well in this one. I did see it uh, when it opened finally in theaters. I was I was not at Sundance. I'm not that cool. Um, but I did enjoy the movie. I thought overall it was fine, but I don't think it stayed with me in the same way that it stayed with you, David, and Aaron as well. I do think Julia Louis-Dreyfus is phenomenal as an actress, and I think she had great chemistry with Devisman Vinces. And shout out to the fact that they had David Cross and uh, Amber, Amber Tamlin. The end couples therapy, I think that was like the highlight of the film for me was seeing like actual married couple there doing this back and forth. It was just a lot of fun for me. Yeah, Amber Tamblyn uh, accuses David Cross, the character of hating women. He says, no, I just hate you. <laughs> One more memorable jokes for me. I saw this at Sundance the first time as well. And um, I, I feel like part of the reason why the Sundance glow is so much stronger is because Okay, so this is um, we're all HCA members. 
you know, it's the thick of award season. Everyone's tired of talking about the same movies. This is like the first new movies. And so I think that that lends itself to kind of overrating or maybe like extra hype about things. I was guilty of with You Hurt My Feelings, like we're in the throes of the lead up to the Oscars and be like, I know I can I this is annoying to do, but I really think that Julia Louis-Dreyfus deserves an Oscar nomination for this work. I know we're not even done with the Oscars, but she she's phenomenal in it. And that remain that remains true uh for me today. Yeah. I I I think it was my favorite. I didn't see a ton actually at Sundance, but I think of everything I saw at Sundance, this was my favorite. Awesome. Well, it won't be the last Sundance movie to show up here. That's for sure. Meredith, you get to lead something here. So this is your number three. What do you got? Oh, man. Finally. So in my number three spot, this was honestly the biggest surprise for me so far this year. Everything else has kind of been like, oh, I knew this was going to be really good and, and then it exceeded my expectations. But this one in particular surprised me. And that was Air, directed by Ben Affleck, which uh, of course tells uh, the true story of how um, how uh, Nike was able to uh, make a deal with Michael Jordan and create the Air Jordan. And I really was impressed, first and foremost, by the cast involved um, with Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Ben Affleck himself wearing those awesome sunglasses and that jacket. I mean, who could forget when the trailer dropped for that? But also like Chris Tucker as well. And obviously Viola Davis is always incredible. But here in particular, I was really surprised by the way that they paced the story and told the story because initially it seemed like we know kind of the mythos around like how these iconic shoes came to be. But the way by which they kind of told it over the course of a weekend or a couple weekends, uh, really making it about the individual people involved, like the unsung heroes, to uh, make this uh, shoe come to be and how much of a gamble this was at the time. Plus, I mean, it was the 80s, a lot of great needle drops, and I was really surprised of how much of a feel-good movie that this was. I wasn't rooting for it to be a bad movie, but the way people were talking about it, I was like, I don't know, this feels overhyped. But I really did enjoy it. And now the fact that it's on Prime Video now, I'm looking forward to rewatching it again. So that is why Air is on my list. Yeah, it made us all fall in love with capitalism again. <laughs> so it's a... Okay, <laughs> I mean, okay, I, okay. I loved it. I'm not I'm just I'm guilty. Like, I mean, I loved it as well. So for all of those reasons, I, I had a blast with it. And I've I've really enjoyed the run of movies like Air that we've gotten so far this spring it was like tetris and air and blackberry and just a whole slew Don't of these movies revisiting oh yeah i haven't watched it yet yeah. uh but yeah that one just it's came out too as well <laughs> oh it's not <laughs> but i'll also be the lone naysayer because i really went into air really wanting to like it i really like ben affleck as a director i like the the cast um i just felt that it was it was definitely well acted i thought it was maybe a little overwritten in kind of like a post aaron sorkney type of way and also i just robert Rich richardson is one of my favorite working cinematographers and i did not get what he was going for in that movie it just thought i 
I don't know if he's trying to do the, just the whole like 80s video thing where it looks kind of smeary and ugly, but I just like, I couldn't get behind the look of the movie, unfortunately. It, it took me out of it, but I'll always show up for director Ben Affleck, you know? It is a very vanilla kind of staid looking looking movie, but for me, like, I, even though this isn't in my top five, I think that Air is the most fun I've had watching a movie this year because like 90s, 80s and 90s basketball is basically what I feel like people that's my superheroes <laughs> so like yeah. I'm that's for me there were so many like jokes within this where I was like I get that reference I get that like oh this Gonzaga knock like there's like all these things going on in the in in the in the in the film that just like put a smile on my face from beginning to end and Jason Bateman got a little Got one little monologue that got me all teary. This was like my ultimate. I'm not a dad, but this is like this was my this is my dad movie of this of this year for sure. Because like I felt like it was like it was actually speaking to a nostalgia that I do have instead. Whereas so much of like the industry is always like catering to someone's nostalgia. I feel like I've kind of skirted past that until air. But I agree. I'm like Robert Richards. I don't think it was so much what Richardson was doing, but like kind of Affleck. There were some there were some things that looked like a grainy YouTube video occasionally, where it's like I know that he's trying to make it look like this is what this video looks like from how it was shot then and how it would be on your computer now. But there was somewhere I was like I don't I don't know that that translates that well. But I, I it it is it is about capitalism, but there is you know it is this the start of a company before they got huge, so it's not like world crushing capitalism. But I do like that it is tied to something that has become more commonplace and i forget you're 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 a razorbacks fan so you probably remember what it's called but um how like nil nil yeah (laughs) like name image and likeness right so the the progress that we've made for athletes to actually make money on themselves instead of just people make money off them like that was something that Jordan's mother identified very early on. And I think that that is something that has taken so long for, for, for everyone else to catch up to. And I'm, it, it's good that we are, but I think that that is, that is like a wrinkle within like maybe the other capitalism stories is like, this is like, yeah, Nike got huge because of it, but Michael Jordan like individually did something that it took far too long for others to uh, replicate. Yeah, absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly, and and that's a big positive to come out of this, is to elevate that story. Brian's number three will show up later. So, David, your number three, which is a lone entry on the I list. know it's a lone entry, and I'm putting on my battle armor because I know people who hate this movie really hate this movie. <laughs> but this is another Sundance movie for me. Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, which is the worst fun you'll have in the theater all year. Um, <laughs> fun's not really the right word. I loved Possessor, his last movie, and I guess this is kind of a theme with these Sundance movies. Like, you hurt my feelings, good, not quite as good as enough said. I don't think Infinity Pool lives up to Possessor, but I just want to spend more time in his outlook and in, in his brain and in, in, in the way that Brandon Cronenberg is obsessed with mutable identity and mutable physical forms and the way that infinity pool especially like blends sort of uh violence done towards flesh and and sex and it's the movie is 
the sex isn't really sexy, but the violence isn't entirely the violence isn't entirely untitillating. So it's kind of like it's. I feel like it's a very provocative and challenging movie. And if it's not your thing, it's going to be really very strongly not your thing because it 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 doesn't let up. But I also think it's 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 incredibly funny if you have the right sense of humor. I think Mia Goth is. Uh, really funny especially in the early scenes uh, i'm not sure who all here has has, has seen it but she's uh <laughs> we find out that she's an actress whose um main job is those infomercials where it shows people doing normal things but being bad at them like there has to be a better way so she like demonstrates how to how to like how to fail on camera and so there's a lot of like comedy early on and then but you know throats start getting slit and uh, there's close-ups of ejaculate and there's just uh all kinds of hallucinogenic sex violent dream sequences it's a really powerful experience uh that i loved i know the people who were sitting around me in the screening at the pni screening at sundance did not love it it's there's a one of the big trends in 2022 in movies seemed to be eat the rich or rich people are, are crazy and this this movie definitely starts off with that like a white lotus or a triangle of sadness it has to do with rich people and a luxury vacation and rich people being able to get away with things because of their privilege but it, it, it goes beyond just being about like isn't it you know a shame that these people have have this free reign and get to like what what does it do to a person's psyche to not have any like consequences for your for your actions uh, and how far are, will some people go and what of themselves will will they give up to maintain this consequence free uh, lifestyle? So I don't know. Did anyone else see it here? I have seen it. Am I the only other one that has? Oh. Yes, no, yeah. yeah, not my. Um, not, I've never seen a single Cronenberg okay. for either of oh, them. Oh, really? I have no desire to whatsoever. Agreed. Sorry, I'm still I'm still coming back from that statement. <laughs> I just body horror is just not not my thing. I can't do body horror. I just can't. That it's, that uh, I can understand, but uh, David David has some that are, exist outside of the the body horror realm. I think so. Like, I I actually think so. Like, David Cronenberg, um, I think is more cerebral than brandon i think that brandon is trying to outdo the ick of his dad and i think with like infinity pool it's like i i liked possessor a lot more than i did infinity pool that's that's the the main thing that i would say i kind of i liked the start and where it was going but for me personally it got too extreme in the end so to to your end aaron i i this this one was too much for me and i am actually like a david cronenberg diehard so and it's also like i think that the 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 points that it was making toward the end were kind of the same as the middle so like the, the the extremities that it went to maybe didn't land so much for me but i thought i loved uh, that mia goth got to use her real voice and that she got some moments that like <laughs> i just remember like seeing this movie and it's like okay that's going to be that's that's going to be a meme like you i, I kind of like when you can spot those types of things in a movie where it's just like out of context this looks crazy and it is crazy <laughs> The only thing I want to push back against is, is that I think you're ascribing a certain like self-consciousness to Brandon Cordero. He's trying to outdo something. I don't 
feel that his work is self-conscious. I think it is honest. And this is really just where his uh, peccadillos or idiosyncrasies or preoccupations <laughs> happen to, to lie. And he's willing to get all the way into the guts of it. You grow up as a certain thing, I guess. You know, you you're, tend to be a product of your environment a lot of ways, uh, no matter what that is. So it's not really surprising that if you grew up with your dad being David Cronenberg and watching all of his stuff and his mind that you might grow up with some of those same desires uh, <laughs> to do stuff. So yeah, I, I've heard lots of, I, I love that it's on your list, David, simply because it is the kind of divisive movie that, and those are usually the best, you know, something like Babylon last year, yeah. people either loved it or just can completely hated it. And those are some of the best ones to discuss. And, and those mean that filmmakers are trying something like they are going for it all or nothing. And they're okay with a subset of moviegoers just not being interested in their thing. And they're, they're fine with that. Uh, and so I like that. I appreciate that, even if I will never, ever, ever watch it <laughs> myself. <laughs> My number three shows up later or next, I guess. Um, so Meredith, with your number two, uh, this is also mine and Brian's number three. Why don't you go ahead and talk about it? I mean, what can I say? But what's up, Danger, guys? Across the Spider-Verse is my number two. And honestly, if I had seen it one more time, it could have been my number one. But there's just one that I've held on to a little bit more than that. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is the follow-up to 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And this movie was delayed, actually. It was supposed to come out a year earlier, but then uh, it was was delayed uh, so they, they could have more time with the animation. And my goodness, the proof is in the pudding. Into the Spider-Verse was such a big deal of the way that they literally brought a comic book to life in such a fresh and dynamic way uh, with the music, with the... Uh, Binde dots with uh, offset printing with everything that they were able to incorporate into uh, into the Spider-Verse. I didn't think that they could expand upon that and across the Spider-Verse and they did uh, from the opening scene of Gwen Stacy's world to meeting Hobie later on who is like rocking on the twos, the threes, and the fours. My brain is still trying to figure out like how he actually like exists. But then you have that paired with such a great Spider-Man story about what it means to be Spider-Man. What does it mean in this meta-modern world of like stories that are being remixed? What things are true of characters? What things are different of characters? And how can we expand upon these stories and these characters that we love so much and give them such fresh dynamics and just deeper character relationship, family, what does it mean uh, for responsibility and to being constantly told no, that you don't have a space, you don't have a place here along these other Spider-Men. And Miles is out there like, no, like I am here. I'm just as much Spider-Man as all of you. And I just am in awe of this movie of how they were able to create this. It makes me equally excited for Beyond the Spider-Verse. And while I have seen some criticism saying that this movie, like people were unaware that it was going to like, it's a part two to a three part you know, story. I would say like, hey, I did know about it. So it didn't come out as a shocker because they announced it so far in advance. But B, I think it really does lend itself that it does feel like a complete story of what they are saying about Spider-Man, not to go into spo spoilers at all. 
and the decisions that are made, and especially giving Gwen Stacy, I think just her character, Haley Seinfeld, voices her just a lot more in this film, that it's just uh, very, it's just really refreshing and fun, and I I laughed, I choked up, like I went through all the emotions watching Across the Spider-Verse, and that for me is what really gets to me. I am not a horror girly, unfortunately, so Infinity Pool wasn't going to be my thing, but Across the Spider-Verse, like, definitely definitely is brian why have you got it at number three i mean this was the biggest surprise for me personally this year because i've i've seen many 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 uh superhero movies for for work but i've i've never i haven't really liked any of them they always have i kind of always like the first 90 minutes of most superhero movies and then the third act is always the same for everything and then it's like world building for eight television shows and four more franchises so to merit this point while i enjoyed the animation of into the spider-verse and the animation of across the spider-verse is amazing into the spider-verse i kind of like for me, it hit. It had the same. It ultimately did the same thing that all these movies do in the third act. But this one doesn't, and that's actually maybe what ultimately kept me through to the very end because I. It does feel like it's setting up like a such a specific blueprint to be contained within. I know they're going to make more. There'll be spinoffs and offshoots, but this does feel like very much like pay attention to this trilogy. And I think I appreciate that they did break it up into two, not just because it doesn't have, you know, the third act of all the worlds colliding and everyone fighting in different spots and then converging. Uh, But by giving it this space of having a, a, a part one cliffhanger, it gives you way more time with the characters. And I love Miles and Gwen got to have actually to establish more of their relationship. And by the end of it, like I was like, I cannot, yeah, I just, I can't wait to see what happens next, which I feel like I've never really felt from watching a superhero movie before is like, even though it is like kind of like tune in a year from now, I loved almost every, every second of it. So like the, this was a big surprise for me and I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, why was it number three for you? All of those reasons. I, we just did a long podcast breaking it down and stuff. So I won't go into too much of repetitive, but you know, like all of the, the different unique animation styles I thought were just tremendous. And I love how this one was able to define each character's mood and personality and culture by the animated world that they existed in thought that was really special and like you guys are saying like i loved gwen with all my heart and the fact that this is essentially a dual protagonist story now it's not about just miles anymore and it's interesting because you know we always just assumed it was this is miles Miles morales movie but it was never called that it was called into the spider verse it was never called spider-man miles morales uh and i think we might kind of assumed a little too much because it really is about the verse and we now have these multiple characters that are leading us through these these stories and how they relate and i just think it's a really fun and interesting way to play with the word canon which is so important to comic books and to comic book movies and comic book tv shows and and the, the world of media around that and how they are exploring that and i yeah i just I loved it. I wanted to go back and see it a second time so badly, but I'm waiting for Father's Day so I can go with my kids. It's going to be part of my my big day. And, and so I've held off 
Um, but I will give one last plug related to that. If you want to see this in Dolby or IMAX, you have to go right now. So this podcast will be out on a Tuesday morning. You have like three days. I wanted to go on Father's Day weekend. This movie would be the third weekend for Spider-Verse, right? It's not on those screens anymore because we've had Transformers, The Flash, and Elemental. It's Father's Day weekend is The Flash and Elemental. Blockbusters are coming out so fast that those screens get eaten up. And it's it's a damn shame because none of them are anywhere near as close to being as good as this movie. But that's the way it is. So if you want to catch it in a premium format, you've got like a few days to do that. Or you're going to miss out, which is a real bummer, I think. Oh, you're stressing me out because I have to admit I haven't seen it. Yeah, I wanted to see it. I, I honestly wanted to see it in preparation for this podcast, but I was like on vacation with my wife, who does not care about Spider-Man. <laughs> and then good choice then. And then good choice. And then, so then, <laughs> then I had like a week after I got back, but then I got sick from being on vacation, and I've been like home with a cold for like the past five days, and I just couldn't make it work in time. I really wanted to see it in time to do this podcast. It'll still be there. It's just not going to be in the best formats, and th- and it really does shine in an IMAX or Dolby situation like it's a movie that benefits from that in a big way so yeah if you got time you know do that but you'll still have time to catch it in a theater i think i did see it in 4dx for the first time and that was quite the experience um you know jumping through the different spider verses uh you you were swinging through them with it not the same experience as when i saw fast 10 like i felt like i was in the cars with them in 4dx but if you can see in a 40x it's also quite the experience what is it with uh, real quick what is it with all these spider-man titles though it's i feel like it's a prank like there you got the like homecoming far from home no way home then you got into spider across and beyond like I, it's they're trying to like keep me from keeping them all straight yes <laughs> well because there's so much happening and like you know there's the dual ownership of tom holland's mcu spider-man which is like a hybrid of sony and marvel studios versus like what they're doing in the animated space here but because sony has full ownership of it they're able to explore more with the spider-verse which when you see it you will know what i'm talking about because oh my gosh i can't believe they're able to get away with what they did yeah I, and i think that's part of why this movie not to totally split, but we've, we did mention, you know, it ends on a cliffhanger. That is what it is. And people do didn't understand that this movie was two parts because it's not called across the spider verse part one. (laughs) It's just called a title. And you would think that it's just going to be a complete movie, but it really is a part one of part two uh, type situation. And so going into it with that expectation, it changes things, but uh, it, it works. Uh, I think in context of how they told the story. All right, Brian, your number two, also only on one list, but it's on my, it's private, so no one can see this, but it's on my letterbox short list of like 10 top movies for the year that I was trying to use to pull from. So I do love it. Oh, what what number is it at? I didn't keep going. (laughs) Personally, my top three were so far and above everything else like i have i have three that i think are those top three for me are for sure end of the year top 10 films no matter what i don't see that them falling off and then everything else after that is a little bit tighter competition gotcha so yeah my my number two i actually saw last year at tiff but it came out this year and i've seen it uh, again since in this calendar year but uh how to blow up a pipeline 
So, I mean, it's basically, it doesn't, it doesn't show you how to blow up a pipeline, but and there is a joke about that. It's based on the manifesto by Andreas Malm about climate change and, and structural damage is as, as a way to go, uh, which, they, which his uh, manifesto also does not explain how to blow up a pipeline. Just FYI. <laughs> uh, so you won't, you won't get on any watch list by renting this movie. I just think it's 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 a great thriller. It's a great way to crack a the code of a very dense academic written work and turn it into basically an Ocean's 11 style movie where it's like a bunch of people who don't know each other coming together to do a heist, but it's told a little bit in the style of Reservoir Dogs where um you you meet characters like they it flashes back after you've met them to kind of like how they became part of this group so because so you're thrust into them go all traveling to texas uh to to blow up this one uh pipeline uh that would disrupt oil prices and change a lot of things they all have various reasons why there's also some people who don't want to do it um it's it's a great young cast i love how indie it feels like it was shot in secret uh and you can kind of feel that it kind of feels like you're watching something that maybe you're not supposed to or something that like feels it doesn't feel like a documentary because it's not shot that way but it does not feel like a, a studio production and there's no real sermonizing it really is kind of about the tense the tense plotting and there is uh there is two there are two characters who kind of like keep you guessing about what they're actually there for that really works really well in my opinion as far as the suspense and the thriller aspect of it but it, it's it's a necessary movie to make in in my opinion it doesn't say like this is the way that things have to be done but it's saying like you know there's no real ideas and these people have a couple ideas and here's how they did it and i i just think that it reminded me a lot of um i guess early 90s independent cinema movement and how um how energetic that was this felt very this is a very very energetic watch to me and it has a great electronic score that kind of harkens back to some safety brothers type things as well so yeah i yeah i i i loved it uh, and i've watched it a couple times and it's it's still it still holds true easily one of the most riveting movies i've seen in a long time i mean you're, you're locked in from the get-go, every frame, every second. And I think the score does a ton of that heavy lifting as well. It's one of my favorite scores of the year for sure. It's just absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I just, I would echo basically everything you said is why I also responded really positively to it. I just appreciated the movie not trying to mix perspectives to tell a balanced, what what audiences might call balanced story it's like no this is what these people believe and this is how life is for them within their perspective and their views and watch it and think about it and go about your life <laughs> yeah i love the unpolished aspect of that as well because it's like yeah they're 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 in a rundown little <laughs> shack over by like off a dirt road um there's there's no glamour to anything there's no hollywood polish and it just it, it, that that itself i think is part of the reason why it works so well like aaron it didn't quite crack my list here but i can I, there's nothing i can say against it it's i can wholeheartedly endorse the, the movie and, and recommend it uh 
you're absolutely right, Brian, that, that it's marked by a lack of sermonizing. But what I really liked is that on the other side, it also has a complete lack of like conservative, like moralizing. Like I think in a more studio type of atmosphere uh, or, or a more mainstream movie, there would be some sort of like getting where the characters are coming from, but ultimately saying like, but it's wrong to damage property or but it's wrong to break the law. The movie has no like comment on that at all. It's just a heist movie that is about blowing up a pipeline it does not make any apologies whatsoever for its characters or, or what they're doing and i found it really invigorating in that sense but also just like yeah as a heist movie it's one of the best that i've seen in a long time yeah i'm bummed that i haven't been able to see it uh but i love a good heist movie, and i mean everything that i've seen from it it has looked really great and so yeah that hearing all of this just makes me like okay i need to watch this sooner. i'll also point out i think one of the strong points of a movie like how to blow up a pipeline that sort of level of an indie film i tend to i think respond positively to them when there's not an actor i recognize and there was no one in this movie that i knew so it felt so much like they were the characters they weren't just actors playing these characters but you know, it wasn't I wasn't watching Tom Cruise leading a group of people to blow up a pipeline and trying to tr- believe it's not Maverick or whatever. Obviously, that's a pretty extreme example. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, but, that, Aaron, that leads me to believe that you have not seen American Honey, which I actually is one of the best movies that's won for centuries so far. So yeah, uh, didn't it introduce Sasha Lane? Uh, Sasha Lane yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I knew she was in that, Andrea, but like it's Tom on my watch or, list. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well. And then also the one kid in it is from Blackish. I didn't watch a lot of Blackish, but oh, Blackish one of the TV show. Yeah, yeah. There's well, a- it worked for me because I didn't know him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, see American Honey. If, I, if you well, come away from this podcast with anything, it's, see American Honey. It's a great movie. It's on my watch list. It has been for a decade, probably. Uh, so some someday. <laughs> All right, number two for David. Go ahead, and uh, this is not anything like Infinity Pool. I love your list. It's very very diverse yeah well this is also on Meredith's list i'm seeing so uh hopefully she'll have some things to say too but uh kelly freeman craig's are you there god it's me margaret i because i was a dumb boy i did not read are you there god it's me margaret as a kid i read i read the fudge books because that's what boys read or whatever kicking myself now for not having read it but uh, so i didn't really know you know i didn't know specifically i knew it was a movie that dealt with like periods and bras that's like kind of all i knew but to go back to reading the fudge books i remember like during like reading time in like second grade annoying my classmates because i was laughing out loud at the fudge books and one of the things about are you there god it's me margaret that i uh, love is how consistently hilarious it is but not in a way that is anyway like heightened there's no bullshit to this movie there's it's it's to get like highfalutin and talk about my general just philosophy of movies or just art as a whole what i want to see is i want honesty i want to believe that the artist believes what they're saying and are you there guys me margaret has no seams in in that there is no self-consciousness there is an absolute love for these characters i love how you've got your main girl and then you've got the other kids at school, and I think in a lesser adaptation or a lesser coming-of-age movie, there would be, like, the antagonist, the foil, the bad girl. And there is, like, she does have a friend who turns out to be kind of a shitty friend, but the movie loves her, too, because she's just a kid going through puberty, too. 
and the 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 amount of the amount of love that Chloe Freeman Greg, who also made the great Edge of Seventeen, she's two for two. She's made two movies and they're both fantastic. The amount of love she has for her her characters, the fantastic performance from Rachel, Rachel McAdams, Betty Safdie, who is like has I think has graduated from being an, a director who acts to just like I think it was an actor. I mean, Liquor's Pizza and this. And then Stars at Noon last year he was he was in. I really love him. And yeah, I really got to me and Morgan. I, I left. I, I cried my wife and I saw it in the theater that we were surrounded by like uh girls with their moms seeing it and I just felt like it felt like it was it was really it was really something. It wasn't just a it wasn't just any movie. It felt like a moment, uh in in a movie that uh I will continue to recommend to people and can't wait to see again. Sorry, Meredith, you saw it too. I forgot. Yeah, I mean, I I adore this movie. I I actually did not grow up with the book, so that's the reason why it's not higher on my list. Uh, not for any type of reason as, like, I couldn't read it or anything. It just, like, never really came up. But when I told my mom that I was seeing it, she was like, oh, my gosh, you have no idea, like, how much, like, this meant to me. And I'm seeing that across the board that, like, so many women have, like, connected to this book. And I think the reason why this film just works so well and it just, like, hits the nail on the head of, like, what it means to grow up. So, it's like, there's just an earnestness about their natural and felt very just seen uh watching it yeah i remember doing their conversation with my friends and uh the fact that kelly freeman craig was just able to tap into that again you know not just for the edge of 17 and being a teenager but being a girl uh, going through puberty is just such a massive thing. And I also really appreciated the way that it tackles faith in this, uh, just because as somebody with a faith background, like I think the way that they approached it was so like also earnest and not like, like seeing the various backgrounds of just different people and just watching a girl like figure out her faith background for herself without uh, any type of, well, people try to like pressure her, but like she comes to her own natural conclusion about it. And I just really love that, seeing that just so naturally done. And I mean, I could shout the praises of Rachel McAdams. I've been a fan of her since Mean Girls and uh, Wedding Crashers. So to, to see her do so much in this, I know we're so far off from like award season but i really do think she gives such a phenomenal performance in it and it is worth paying attention to high on my list to see i very much am anticipating it uh, edge of 17 is a five star love coming of age movies in general and so i i've been i literally check i would say every three to four days to see if the stinking 20 dollars vod price has ever dropped to a reasonable rental amount I'm just waiting on this thing to hit like that. I don't know. I'll I'll do it for like six ninety nine if you're listening, but you know I'm not gonna rent it for twenty bucks. So uh, maybe I should just buy it. I don't know. But I'm very very excited to see. It's one of my biggest blind spots that I didn't get to before this. Uh, it's also it, a blind spot for me, but I am looking forward to watching it. I I, I also loved Edge of Seventeen, and I don't even know the Fudge books, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Judy Bloom's books either, but um, when I 
in my New York years, uh, when I was working for Collider, Judy Bloom would be at a number of the press screenings and just the way that my female colleagues would like look at her with all like, I can't believe we're sitting in a theater with Judy Bloom is like, <laughs> I feel like I should have rushed to see this more than I did. But my, my wife and her mom just watched it the other day and, and really liked it. So I will check it out very soon. All right. My number two is higher on someone else's list. So on to our number ones, Meredith, go ahead. All right, guys. My number one movie so far of this year is Polite Society. First time feature from director Nita Manzor. Oh my goodness. I cannot get over how great of a film this is. This is a story about two sisters, Pakistani sisters who live in England, and they're both kind of going through some stuff. Uh, the younger sister is a wannabe stunt woman while her older sister just dropped out of art school and just trying to figure out her life. And lo and behold, she starts seeing this man and she gets engaged, but there is other things that ensue. And it it's a heist film. It's an action film. It is this deeply uh, tender movie about uh, the power of sisterhood and fighting the patriarchy. It's hilarious. There is so many um, visual moments to it that just reminds me of an Edgar Wright film or a Quentin Tarantino film with like the different chapter titles and just the stylistic choices made. I believe it premiered at Sundance. I didn't get to see it there. I saw it at a press screening and I couldn't wait to just tell people to go see this film. So also, if you have anything to take away from this podcast episode, please watch Polite Society because I have been waiting for a film like this to come along that combines all these different genres in a way that uh, just feels just really fun and fresh and just a, a lot of fun to be had and makes fun of she might be doing a marvel right now uh, one of the stunt women that uh, the younger sister is super obsessed with so and as a fan of marvel movies you know i got a kick out of that so this is also, this is my number five. So I also get to talk about how great Polite Society is. Uh, yeah, Meredith, you mentioned Edgar Wright, and that's absolutely the comparison that I would uh, recommend to people. Because I think I this movie might have benefited a little bit from, fair or not, some lowered expectations for me. Because I was, sorry, I was one of the contrarian assholes like, last year who did not like everything everywhere all at once. And so I went into Polite Society thinking, here we get another family drama that's going to be like transfused through martial arts it's going to be like knowing and winky and proud of itself but it's not like that and none of the problems that i had with uh, everything everywhere all at once i had with polite society these characters are so real and so flawed the movie understands the flawed the movie doesn't try to like it actually it, it, in that Edgar Wright, like early Cornetto trilogy type of, type of way, Nita Manzor does a great job of introducing the genre elements of these like martial arts fights without breaking the reality in a way, um, which maybe is one of the problems that I had with everything everywhere at once. Not that I, I didn't mean to turn this into my opportunity to <laughs> slag off everything everywhere at once, but uh, it was a big part, I think, un probably unfairly of what I had in my mind going into this. And I was so, so pleased with, with how this movie, how much this movie respected its audience, how much it respected the genres it was paying attention to, and also the uh, you mentioned, yeah, Nina Manzor is great. I, I meant to call up the names of the two, the two sisters uh, because they are it's fantastic performances from Priya, Priya. Kansara and Ritu Ari Araya. Yes, um, they're both 
they're both so great and really so much of the movie um is carried is carried by them and uh yeah so this is it was my number five not my number one but it definitely gets the uh the award for most pleasant surprise in 2023 so far for me i saw it uh, it was fine. Uh, it was enjoyable. It was fun. I noted in my letterbox thoughts that I wish that this was a movie that was on Netflix. This is to me what something like Netflix should be doing. Something that actually has a little bit of a quality to it and that is really great family film material, uh, in my opinion, that is not just a typical story. It's unique and interesting and fantastical. Um, and I, I agree that the performances were really good. And I just I just like the aesthetic of it. Um, that was probably my favorite part was just in general, uh, the, the way that it was depicted visually um, was a lot. And of I also just like how much of a tight script it was. Honestly, there were like a lot of little things that were paid off, which is like another reason why I'd like compared to Edgar Wright, because his scripts are really tight as far as like, little moments that he brings up at the beginning end up having like meaning later down the road or it gets paid off in really funny ways. And polite society also does that with like such precision. And it's really cool to see, especially from like a female director too. Like we talk about like male directors who have like such a unique style. And so to have Edamans or come around and do something at that level is just really exciting. Brian, did you get a chance to see this one? I did. I would just say it's not for me and I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> deprive anyone of their top, top. Yeah. <laughs> with that. Because it, I don't think it was, I don't think it was for me from like, from the start. So it was just very much like it, Edgar Wright is also not for me. So it's that. Yeah. Okay. So that has got to be almost on the, that's got to be on the level of what I said. I, it, if I, can get roasted for not being a David Cronenberg guy. <laughs> you can get roasted for not being an Edgar Wright guy. At least you've seen guy. the Edgar like... Wright movies, though. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Thanks for backing well, me David, up. David, you there. can still yeah, get yeah, roasted. Yeah, <laughs> so moving on to our next pick. Um, Brian's number two of 2023, which technically is probably a 2022 movie but we're well it's it's a <laughs> yeah it's one of those things like i'm i'm a little more stingy on award season dating so like yeah return to soul had a new year's eve release date that was not marketed anywhere just so it could qualify for oscars but it was marketed everywhere for a february release date that it was going to play and all of the interviews everything was for february it's a 2023 movie through and through on the U.S. calendar, with the exception of just being eligible for an Oscar that it was not nominated for. So <laughs> that that's like a a little minor pet peeve of of mine about how we kind of do year end lists, and maybe that comes a little bit from. I mean, it's gaming the system, but also like I I grew up primarily in Boise, Idaho. I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. I lived in all these places where you had to wait months for things, and and so. I think it's more like when when they tell you a movie is going to be there, which is like all every email, every poster, every trailer for this was February 2023. So that is my pretentious, but also maybe of the people response <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> but it's also a movie that uh, many people have not seen. So I get to I get to plug it. So it's a it is a. French Korean film by a French filmmaker of Korean background, Davy Chow. It centers on a woman who 
she says she's French. She's grown up in France, uh, but she was she was born in Korea and given up for adoption adoption very early on. And she she goes there in her twenties. And you you assume that it's going to be like oh, trying to find a parents type narrative, but you actually don't even know that that is what she is doing for like the first twenty minutes. You're observing her as a character. Uh, first and foremost, and her impulsiveness and kind of her charm. But then you later start to see how that impulsiveness and charm actually has like a really ugly side as well. And all the choices that she is making is, is kind of out of discomfort of not knowing herself. There is um, a film that many people are talking about now that I actually think it's very similar to, which is Past Lives. I personally kind of prefer the approach approach here because we always see her with past lives what i would say the reason why i haven't connected with it as as much as others is because you're mostly kind of viewing the main character as the men who love her kind of like look at her we don't get to see her interact with many other people it's just them in return to soul Un, we don't you don't know this going in but it actually charts a lot of time like it's a i think it's a decade in the end and it's these very small differences that she changes about herself along the way but still kind of has like this impulsive unreliability that will that will pop up and it's like she's she's just continuously reinventing herself and trying to like make herself find more where she's at and she's drawn to these roots that she doesn't know and it's very much about like when you're looking for an identity and how you kind of lash out around other with other people because you feel like you don't know yourself that you take it out on others and i think it's 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 not it's not as much of a, a as a fun film or like as a feeling kind of like leaving on a high like well i wouldn't say that past lives does that anyway the past lives is coming i just think if uh if people loved uh past lives I, I would strongly urge to check out Return to Soul because it actually is, uh, has a lot of similar beats around time and identity, but in a completely, completely different way that it kind of, they, they speak to each other very, very nicely in that way. So since a lot of people are loving past lives right now, then I'm just going to, I'm going to say uh, 2022 slash 2023's Return to Soul. <laughs> well, I'll, not to piss you off, Brian, but I'll say the only reason Return to Soul wasn't on my list is because it was on my top 10 movies of 2022 list. <laughs> I agree. It's uh, it's it's magnificent, and the the, the lead actress Park Jimin, Park Jimin, who had apparently never acted before, yeah. is absolutely stunning. Yeah, she's she's phenomenal. She has to carry the whole movie, and it's it's definitely not an easy performance to to do. Like the way that her her character beats kind of change like at a snap of a finger. Which wait, what does she call it? Finding I forget it. There's there's an actual term that they use. Yeah, I I loved it as well. It was in my top five for international last year. And she was in my top five for actress uh, as well. I thought it was fantastic. And just I, anytime a character can make me pretty much hate them and come around to, to feeling sadness or empathy for them. I think that is brilliant. I love going through the ringer like that. And I, I mean, I was cringing at this character early on. I had some real issues with her choices and, and of course that's good acting good storytelling uh, because by the end you know i was just wrecked mm-hmm. and devastated uh by her uh, it also is it's pretty stylish i think that's where it may differ from past lives is past lives is very 
Celine song was a playwright. And so it feels, I think, much more like a stage play in a lot of ways than this to me is a, a little flashier at times. There is in particular the karaoke scene. I, I just will never forget. It's fan, it's awesome. And it has a, a really great soundtrack um, as well, f- especially for a film that you just might not be expecting that for him. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a good pick. I'm glad you decided to highlight it. Did you see it, Meredith? I have not. But basically what I've learned from this podcast is like my watch list that never ends. It's just getting more stuff. It's just getting added to it. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. This is a movie I would not have seen. And I think probably most of us wouldn't have seen if it hadn't come in, I think, was it the neon box set? So I think we all probably got it at the end of the year in award screener time. Like, I didn't know it existed until that. It just showed up at my door and I was able to check it out. It was, it was, it was not. Uh, it was I, not I, I did win, go to a theater. Really. Sony Picture Classics. Sony Picture Classics, not neon. If it was neon, it probably would have been on more lists. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you said what you said, because... Uh, David is going to kick off with his number two, the movie that you just mentioned and that is on, or sorry, his number one, sorry, that is on other lists. My number two, Meredith's number five. Yeah, this is uh, Celine Song's Past Lives, uh, the movie that Brian just absolutely shat all over just a second ago. (laughs) (laughs) No, if I have a a bone to pick with anything anyone said, it's it's Aaron saying that the movie uh, feels like a play. I understand what you mean in that, whereas Return of the Soul has a very active camera, past lives very much you know centers characters talking to one another but i do think it's a beautifully photographed film and the the score and music are beautiful to overuse that that word there's uh brian talked about time and how much time plays a part in in both return to soul and and past lives which is about a also about a woman who was born in korea then uh, she was not adopted she emigrated to canada and when we would catch up with her she's an adult living in new york city and is married right yeah married to a a white man and then her boy or her childhood best friend slash maybe crush uh comes to visit new york city that's the story of the movie uh and so it's definitely we see a few flashbacks but a lot of i think the 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 time that has passed the movie conjures up comes from greta lee who's um, an amazing that seems to be the through line of this podcast is amazing lead performances. But Greta Lee is also a surprise because she's something that I know from comedy. She, you know, she, she was on like high maintenance and she was on girls at one point. Like I, I think of her as a comic actress and there's so much weight and longing behind her eyes in, in this movie. And Celine, Celine Song knows how to use, sorry, I'm Aaron. I'm going to keep defending this movie cinematically because Celine Song knows how to use time, you know, uh, not just, as I'm talking about the time that has passed between these characters, but letting scenes breathe and, and letting scenes play out in, in, in real time. You know, the, it's not a, it's definitely not a, uh, it doesn't have a climactic fight scene like polite society does, but um, what I would consider sort of the, the centerpiece scene of the movie is Gretely, her husband and her old friend go to a bar together. And it's just a, quiet scene of three people talking to them someone goes to the bathroom so it's two people alone and it's just that alone is i think the best most beautiful scene i've seen in a movie in in 2023 so yeah it's i'll stop talking because it's on other people's lists too yeah i don't have any problem with the way it's shot i just think it's different than return to soul (laughs) i did not mean that in a negative light at all i adore it i think it's a phenomenal phenomenal movie that sticks with you that's kind of the the key for all of my top three is they just they lingered with me and wouldn't get out of my brain 
that the, the final shot in this film, which I definitely am not going to spoil, is constructed in a way that is just true brilliance uh, from a storyteller and filmmaking perspective when you kind of understand what is happening with the way characters are moving within the frame and what it means. Uh, and I, I just thought that this is such an achingly emotional drama. Uh, it's something that is really easy for a lot of people to relate to. A lot like you hurt my feelings in the sense that it, it made me reconsider my own life and the choices that I make and the choices I have made and what that means. And I think that the special th one of the special things I should say that stood out to me other than Greta Lee's performance, which is next level. I am not familiar with her from comedy. So now I actually want to go back and watch and see. I, I can't even fathom that. To be honest, like it, it blows my mind to hear that because all I know is Nora here. Um, and what else really worked for me was just the way in which we, we have sort of this. It's not a love triangle. It is a relationship triangle in a sense, but it is handled differently than pretty much any other story that you would ever imagine could handle that. It's mature. It's respectful of each other and it's challenging and there's no easy answers. It's not as simple as like, oh, oh, the grass is greener on the other side. So we're going to do a thing and then we're going to have a problem because that happened and then we're going to have a makeup scene. It's not about that. It's about the exploration of these feelings that no one really fully kind of understands and, and being OK with that and living within that uncertainty uh, and trust and, and just so many emotions uh, that you go through watching this beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah, I actually just saw the film for the first time this past weekend. And I ended up running into a friend of mine on the street, which was like really random. But like, I was still emotionally processing what I had just watched. It was something that I really needed to be in my head about just the way like, how they were able to tell how Celine was able to tell a story that like, she wrote, and it comes from her own experience, which I'm like, how were you able to like put this in and make it into craft the script in such a way that just really like pulled out a lot from me watching it? Um, I definitely started tearing up at the end. I will not give away the final shot, but it was just so devastating in the best way possible. Um, I listened to the score again today. Uh, Christopher Bear and Daniel Rossin do an amazing job with the score. I really love it. And also shout out Greta Lee. A, it's incredible just the amount of like she's able to convey like just the smallest little glances that just like speaks volumes. But B, she was also in Across the Spider-Verse. So good, good job for her. Like two back-to-back -back performances or in films that are getting a lot of uh, acclaim right now from our community. So I have nothing else to add, honestly. You both have said it eloquently enough, but I just can't believe, like, I, I was expecting to enjoy it, but I wasn't expecting it to move me the way that it did. Well, I did want to clarify, because I do like, I do, I did really like Past Lives. I think I was maybe expecting to feel swoon or feel more heartbroken than I than I did in the end I think for me because it, it like the the flash the flashbacks maybe didn't build this as much as um 
as I had hoped, it kind of, to me, felt like it was almost like the before trilogy in one movie. But I agree that the the modern set scenes, and particularly that bar scene and the ending, were very, very well executed. And the, the dynamic between the three was the most interesting. And I kind of wish that it was more of the film instead of kind of an act. Because exploring that, I think, what was like, that was when it started to like hook me into the film and it was a little bit closer to the end. But I, this going back to Sundance things, because this was like the, I didn't see it at Sundance and it was, everyone was saying it was the best thing at Sundance. So I think maybe by the time I sat down the, and ha- hearing how devastating it was, maybe it was like expecting a certain thing, but I, the way that she navigates how our choices kind of like very small choices just constantly make us have what ifs, but it's never really like what ifs, like wanting to explore, like you're saying, Aaron. It's like it's a what if that just kind of lingers, and you don't even know if you want the if. And that that those areas uh, of the film, I think, are were were very 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 well done. I um I should probably see it again to see now because like hype, you know, hype hype is hype. You're not wrong. It can affect things in a major way. And it was the second best thing at Sundance, at least according to me, because my number one uh, also was something at Sundance. Didn't premiere at Sundance. David already mentioned it because it's where I met him, uh, eating his bucket of popcorn at eight (laughs) o'clock in the morning as we both sat down bright and early to watch a two and a half hour Italian drama. Uh, Was not any expectation going into this. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was really worried that I had made a poor choice and I wasn't going to be able to uh, stay awake and keep my attention. But uh, this is the eight mountains. It's film that has not made it out theatrically quite yet. It's coming. It's really done all of the festivals at this point. It just played here at Seattle international film festival as well. uh, After debuting at Cannes in 2022 and actually winning a jury prize there. And then it seems to just kind of be kind of, slowly rolling out uh, from there. It is, as I said, it's an Italian drama and it is about two 12-year-old boys who meet in this Alpine village, one of which is from the city and on vacation and one of which lives there. And they have unique situations with their parents, specifically their fathers uh, that have influenced their upbringing and their outlook on life. And essentially, over the course of about two and a half hours, uh, the directors, a married couple, Felix von Groningen, probably I'm going to butcher the names, and Charlotte Vandermeesh, take us on just an incredible journey of male friendship and bonding. And I have always wanted more of that in cinema. It's something that I don't feel like we get a lot of. And this was just absolutely devastating to me in the best way it depicted these two men over the course of their entire lives we drop in and drop out of different time periods their struggles their romantic relationships their dreams achieving their dreams losing their dreams um, just basically the bigness and the smallness of their lives it's it's all there and and through everything they remain just inexplicably drawn to each other and drawn to this place. And 
if you have a love of the outdoors, if you're a hiker, and and I, and when we talk about like setting of film festivals, we watch this at Sundance, and you know I walk out of the theater and I look up and I see the the mountains, the snowy peaks, like right there staring at me, and that's what this movie is full of. It's just absolutely exquisite, just beautiful photography. It is all on location. It's all real. Um, it was hard to get. I've t- listened to so many interviews about this, the valleys, the lakes, the waterfalls, the mountains. It's it's immense, but you're telling this simple story within this incredibly huge, um, just amazing, vast landscape uh, around them. So everything about this worked for me. I walked out of it and I was incredibly moved and I was like, wow, that I can't overrate this and and i haven't gotten a chance to rewatch it i actually got a, a link to rewatch it out of uh, seattle international film festival and i let it expire before i got to it i was so sad but this is above all the movie i just have not let go of it's lingered it's like past lives but even more so has just stayed with me i think because maybe because of the rareness of that truly unique loving sacrificial male friendship at the center of it. Um, anyway, I, I was just, I was just blown away by this movie. Yeah. Obviously I'd seen it too. Was a, we talked about, uh, I also really loved it. Um, I liked it. Uh, I can't remember what, uh, the word was exactly that you used, but there, I think you saw talked about them being sort of inexplicably drawn back together. And I think it, it's very honest about friendship in that way that like the characters, these two characters don't necessarily go on the journey of finding themselves together. They kind of find who they are at their own pace. And sometimes that causes friction between them, but there is that eternal bond between them. I was overjoyed in how much I liked this movie because uh, Felix Van Gordingen, so Charlotte Vandermeer, this is her directorial debut, but Felix Van Gordingen, he had made a movie in 2012 called The Broken Circle Breakdown, which is great, but I am gonna, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to warn you, high on the list of saddest movies I've ever seen in my entire life, like legitimately be warned. It's a, just a heartbreaking, crushing movie. Uh, and so I, but I, but I was really into because I didn't see Belgica, but then he came to America and made a movie called Beautiful Boy that I thought was terrible with uh, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. So I had, I'd been like, oh, maybe he's lost it. So I was, I was happy to, maybe it was Charlotte Vandermeer who, who righted the ship, but I was happy that he went back to making good movies. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I doubt anybody else. Maybe, Brian, did you catch it? I did not, um, but sounds right up my, right up my alley. Um, I, yeah, I, that was actually, I had a ticket for it at Sundance, but I didn't go. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Well, that's the thing. Like it's, it's such a, you know, it's not, there's no, there was no hype around it. Nobody was really talking about it. I was surprised David was there. There wasn't a huge crowd. It was, it was yeah, just, there were very few of us. There. <laughs> we got lucky that we went, you know, that we went and saw it. So, but I, I've got to talk about it every chance I can get so that I feel like if I just keep mentioning it on social media and on podcasts that I say the words, the eight mountains, eventually it will be in a theater or streaming somewhere and people will be like, Oh, tr- trigger. Aaron talked about that. I should watch it. All right. Well, thank you guys. So real quick recap, uh, the movies with the Well, let's go down the list. Meredith had at number five, past lives. Her number four, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Her number three air number two, Spider-Man across the spider verse. And her number one was polite society. Brian's list. Number five was showing up. Number four bottoms. Number three, Spider-Man across the spider verse. Number two, how to blow up a pipeline. Number one, return to soul. 
David's list, number five was Polite Society. Number four, You Hurt My Feelings. Number three, Infinity Pool. Number two, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And number one, Past Lives. And then my list, number five was Sanctuary. Number four, You Hurt My Feelings. Number three, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Number two, Past Lives. And number one, The Eight Mountains. Movies that were on multiple lists, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was on two. You Hurt My Feelings was on two. Polite Society was on two. Surprise for me there. Thought that was cool. Uh, Spider-Verse was on three. And Past Lives was on three. Any honorable mentions you guys want to just real quickly throw out there as little recommendations for folks to check out that that maybe they haven't already? I'm just going to randomly... Meredith. All right. I'll be very quick with this. Emily, check that out. Uh, Fast 10, check that out in 4D if you you care about the Fast franchise at all. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I adore that movie. James Gunn has won has ended that trilogy so well for me and i love it and last but not least cocaine bear by elizabeth banks i kind of wish it was a little gorier honestly (laughs) but i had such a delightful time watching cocaine bear i love it that's what this is meant for just go nuts david do you have any yes absolutely i have a few um uh, A.V. Rockwell's A Thousand and One, kind of keeping with our theme of movies that take place over a long period of, of time with a terrific lead performance by Tiana Taylor as a, a woman who gets out of prison and sort of reclaims her son from the foster care system and does so outside of the law. And we see the fallout of that over the course of many years. That's a great movie. I was really pleasantly surprised by um, Laurel Parmet's uh, The Starling Girl, which is a movie about a, a, a girl growing up in sort of in a oppressive and cloistered religious community but i think to go back to what i was saying about things like are you there goddess me margaret the lack of like judgment i think on the part of the movie and the lack of like making her like oh she's the obvious outsider who knows the rest of these people are wrong like you see how she's like the the community is wronging her in many ways but also she's invested in it and gets a lot out of it it's, the movie was way thornier than i thought it would be and then this is a left field pick. I don't know if anyone has seen it. I just watched it the other night. Super low budget horror movie called Brooklyn 45. It's written and directed by a guy whose name I don't know how to pronounce, Ted Geoghan. I asked him because I butchered it in my review. Yeah. And I, e- I emailed my link to him and I was like, hey, by the way, just, you know, I probably ruined your last name. And he said, it's pronounced Gagan. Gagan. Like, Reg- like Reagan. Right. And I or was like, like Stephen never would have guessed yeah. that. Yeah, uh, a name that I recognize because he's also a publicist and I've been getting emails from him for for years. But yeah, I didn't know what to expect about Brooklyn 45, which is a horror movie on its surface, but is a sort of uh, uses the fallout from the Second World War. It's about a, a group of World War II vets who get together for the first time since the war and one of their wives has died who was a member of this group and he wants to do a seance to bring her back and things go haywire and they end up stuck in this room. But it uses that sort of immediate post-World War II idea of America and, and the greatest generation and stuff like that to sort of examine the loyalties and prejudices and paranoia that continue to be a part of of america today and and it does it through uh i think some really great period costume and production design work and some fantastic performances from especially from ann ramsey and also the the uh general who wants to do the seance is played by larry fessenden which is how you know that you're watching a worthwhile independent horror movie if larry fessenden is in it that's sort of the imprimatur he, he has blessed the movie by being in it so yeah i thought um Brooklyn 45 was a delightful uh, surprise for me Awesome. Anything for you, Brian? Yeah, for things that haven't been mentioned, um, 
Irisax Passages, which will come out on movie, I think, in August. It is, I mean, it, it is another Sundance kind of love triangle. Franz Rogowski is a, <laughs> he is a himbo director caught between Ben Wishaw and Adele X. Archipolis. Thinks he can have it all. And I guess you have to see how that turns out. Um, very, very, very frank sexuality lengthy sex scenes so if that if you're one of those who thinks that doesn't advance the plot that's pretty much the whole plot of passages is how this is uh how the sex scenes and inform certain decisions upon one character (laughs) mine i had a couple of just misses for the consideration of top five all i believe sundance movies actually one is radical it's about a teacher it's a true story uh, about a mexican grade school teacher and the way that he comes into a a very struggling school and a community where the kids are all dealing with all sorts of crime and poverty around them and reinvigorates it with a unique style of teaching. It's just a beautiful, beautiful story. Performance is uh, is wonderful by Eugenio Derbez. And I actually just noticed on Wikipedia that it apparently got picked up by IFC. So that makes me happy and hopefully it will actually come out because I really do think it's such a, just a wonderful feel good movie that elevates the importance of teachers and it's also very very funny documentary wise 20 days in Mariapool. it's hard to put on a top five list just because of how hard it is to watch but it's a movie about uh, ukraine and what happened to them when they got invaded from boots on the ground reporting and footage and it is staggering staggering stuff that is extremely hard to stomach but very important type of documentary filmmaking that I respect a lot. And then Theater Camp, uh, which should be coming out into theaters uh, pretty soon, sometime in the summer, I believe. I actually just got an email about a press day coming up at the end Mid- of this month. So Mid-July. Mid-July. Excellent. Yes. It was the only movie I watched twice while I was at Sundance. I almost watched it back to back. Just phenomenal, phenomenal fun if you have any interest whatsoever in the theater world. Uh, in musicals and plays and such, it's such a good time. And I think that audiences, when it comes out, I think people are going to go nuts for it. It's going to be a big, big hit. All right. Well, thank you guys again for being here. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. We've got to talk about a ton of different movies, which is always the best part of this. Give out the recommendations for things that people should check out. But I want to give you guys a mention real quick before you leave. Uh, or time to tell people where they can find your work on the internet and various other publications. So we'll start with you, Brian. Where can people find whatever it is you want them to find? Uh, what I want them to find? Well, it's it's all on Letterboxd in some way, whether it's uh, my account on Letterboxd, which is Brian Formo, or if you follow any of our socials or YouTubes, you will unwittingly be watching or listen to our podcast. If you if you consume anything that Letterbox has made, you're probably consuming something that I have worked on. The one thing that I did want to, because the bottoms was in my top five, uh, tomorrow going to put out a very lengthy chat with Emma Seligman uh, talking about bottoms to Zoe Lister-Jones, who starred in a movie that no one brought up in this podcast, but Bo is afraid. <laughs> so look for that. It's a great chat. Uh, that's my plug for, I mean, this comes out Tuesday. It's the same day. All right, Meredith, where can people find your stuff? 
You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, still figuring out how to use Letterboxd, at Meredith Loftus. Um, you can find features of mine um, on Collider or some reviews of mine on Next Best Picture. And I do have some Ted Lasso interviews coming out sometime this week that will be on Next Best Picture's uh, YouTube page. So check that out. Awesome. And David? Uh, the podcast is called Battleship Pretension, wherever you find podcasts. It's also battleshippretension.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. That's Davy with an EY, Davy Pretension. And uh, yeah, Letterboxd, David Bax. All right. And all my links to different social channels and the podcast and stuff are always in the show notes to each and every episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling the